All right, well, good morning, church. And uh, hello to everyone who is uh, tuning in. Listen, if you're new here today, um, I want to say hello to you. Uh, My name is Will, and I serve as one of the elders and one of the pastors here at the church. And so I want to begin this uh, today by saying hello to you. And I also want to say hello to everybody who is participating in the church at home groups. Um, I personally could not have thought of a better Sunday for us to start this church at home initiative than this Sunday in light of the conversation that we are going to be having in light of the topic that we are going to be addressing. Now, today um, I'm going to be addressing uh, the racial tensions, uh, the cultural tensions that we see in our nation today. And to be honest, over the past few weeks, um, I've had a lot of emotion. Uh, I've had a lot of anger. Um, I've had a lot of doubt. I've had a lot of fear. Uh, I've had a lot of confusion. I have a lot of, I've, I've had a lot of judgment towards people. I've had a lot of guilt. Over the past few weeks, I've been dealing with a lot because of what's been happening in our nation. And um, I can tell you that there's been several moments over the last few weeks that I have sat in front of a empty social media post, whether it's a Facebook post or a uh, Instagram post. And I've sat there and I have looked at it and I have thought about it and I have prayed about it and I have said, Lord, what do you want me to say? See, because the reality is, if I put that black lives matter, then I don't care about all lives. If I put all lives matter, then I don't care about black lives. If, if I don't say anything, then I'm part of the problem. If I say something, then I am part of the problem on one side or the other. If I say blue lives matter, then I am for corruption and for the establishment. It, 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 it is such a confusing time. And what I can tell you is that from the moment I decided that I was going to preach on this, there's been a cloud of darkness over me. It was there already, but it became more pronounced from the moment I decided I was going to speak on this. I I have felt, I can tell you that I have felt attacked by the enemy in this week in particular. No doubt in my mind, the enemy has been attacking me because I was going to address this conversation today. And so, so as, as, I, as I come before you, I need, to, I need you to know that, 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 that what I've been wrestling through. And I've been processing this as a minority. I've been processing this as a father. I've been processing this uh, as a pastor. And, but more importantly, I've been processing this as a Christian. And, 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 and as I've been praying and as I've been processing, I, 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 I've been on my knees and I've been on my face, and I've been asking God as I, as I, as I thought about these posts, as I thought about these, these prayers, like, what, what, what do you want me to say about this? What, 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 what should I say as the pastor of High Point Church in the city of Memphis at this time? What should I say about this thing? What, what should I say, Lord? And you know what the Lord convicted me of? You know what the Lord spoke to me, like clear as day? No doubt in my mind it was from him. The Lord said to me as I was praying, as I was on my knees, as I was on my face, the Lord said to me, Will, who cares what you have to say? Who cares what you have to say? Nobody cares what you have to say. 
Because the, the voice that people need to hear right now is not the black voice, is not the white voice, is not the brown voice, is not the cop's voice, is not the democratic voice, is not the Republican voice. The only voice that matters is my voice. So who cares what you have to say, Will? Who cares? It is my voice that people need to hear today. And praise be to God that his voice is right here in this book. I don't have to go try to discern what his voice is. God has already spoken to us. God has already revealed his will to us right here in this book. And what I had to wrestle with is God and I, I had to wrestle with the fact that is God's word sufficient, yes or no? That's the question, right? We, we all believe, not all, but if you're a believer here today, you believe the word is inspired and you believe the word is inerrant, but is the word of God sufficient? Because what I've seen, especially in the church, is no one's quoting scripture. What they're doing is they're quoting their favorite author or they're, they're reposting the post that most represented their views or they're going to their favorite TV channel or political uh, person to say, what is this person saying? I don't care what those people have to say. And God doesn't care what those people have to say. God has spoken to us and, and I had to wrestle with God and I literally had to get to the point where, where, where the Lord had to make me confess, well, is my word sufficient? Yes or no. Is the gospel sufficient? Yes or no. Is Jesus enough? Yes or no. That's what I had to wrestle through over the last week, over the last several weeks. And what I believe is the word is sufficient. And what I believe is that Jesus is sufficient. And what I believe is that the gospel is sufficient. And so who cares what I have to say? Who cares? It really doesn't matter because God's voice is the only voice that matters. Dr. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, when we find ourselves deficient in wisdom, it is not because the word of God has pages missing but because we have not seen all there is on the pages we already have. It is not another book that we need. Then he says, but better attention, but better attention to the book we have. It is not more knowledge we require, but better vision to see what has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. And so as I, as I, as I prayed and as I processed, guys, I'm gonna be just vulnerable here. That's what we're doing, right? I've had people reach out to me. I had someone who I don't know who it is, but someone, someone literally messaged me on Instagram. And, and, and it, all it said in the private message was, hey, when you're done catering to white people, you should probably say something about this. I've had people email me, tell me, you, you got to speak up. Well, here's the thing. I, I am going to speak up. But, but the platform that I'm going to use is not my social media platform. It's the platform that God is giving me here at High Point Church. And the voice that I'm going to uh, speak from, the, 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 the opinion that I'm going to give is not my opinion, but it's God's opinion. So for all those people who told me, when, when people make you feel guilty about not speaking up, what they're really saying is you should say what I'm saying. You should post what I'm posting. You should retweet what I'm tweeting. I'm going to speak up, but it's not going to be what you think it is. I'm going to use the platform that God has given me, and I'm going to use the book that God has revealed to me. So our passage today is Ephesians chapter two. Today we are going to be looking at Ephesians two verses 11 through 22. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can follow along on the screen. 
But Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, here's what it says. Therefore, remember that at one time you... Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Everybody say through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, I come before you right now. And Lord, I'm starting with reading your word because even if I mess everything up coming, coming out of this, at least your word was read. And if your word is sufficient, just me reading it can change someone's life. That's what I believe. But Father, I come before you right now and I know, I know, I, I, I was praying with our elders earlier. We were, we, I was praying with our staff earlier. Lord, I am convinced, I am 100% convinced that what needs to happen here today, only you can do. That, that, that what people need to hear is not my voice. People need to hear your voice. And so God, I am begging you. I've been praying this. I've been begging you for this all week. I pray in Jesus name and in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak through me now, that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit and that it would not be me speaking, but you speaking. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man of a sinful heart. And so I am no better than anyone else who is listening right now. And so I pray that I can speak with authority because I'm speaking from your word. Be with us now, we pray. Because if you're not, then we're hopeless. If you're not, then we have nowhere else to go. It's like the disciples tell Jesus, where else can we go? You are the ones with the words of eternal life. Lord, we love you. We need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So, this morning, we are going to look at this passage, and we are going to look at this season under two headings. We are going to begin by looking at the symptoms of the problem, and then we are going to conclude by looking at the solution for the problem. So we're going to begin by looking at the symptoms of it, and then we're going to conclude by looking at the solution for it. So let's begin uh, today by looking at the symptoms, the symptoms. Now, here's the thing about the symptoms. In this passage, over 2,000 years ago, the same symptoms that cause division today are the same symptoms that were causing division then. There are two symptoms that I want to address here today. The first symptom is a marred image, and the second symptom is a misplaced identity. So a marred image 
and a misplaced identity. So, so let's begin today by looking at the first symptom, which is a marred image, a marred image. I'm going to reread for you uh, verses 11 through 15. Here's what it says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the, uncirc- called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So the first symptom of the problem is a marred image. It is a marred image. Here's the thing. In order to appreciate the reconciliation that Jesus brings, for us. In order to truly appreciate it, we, we have to get a better understanding about just how bad the division actually was. You, you, won't, experience, you won't appreciate the reconciliation until you understand uh, the disparity in the division. See, one of the things that we might believe in a season like this is that this problem of racial tension between black people and white people, this tension that we're navigating right now, you might think that this is a, a new thing. You might think that this all maybe started in the 1960s or maybe it started during the 400 years of slavery. But what I'm here to tell you is that this problem of racism, this this problem of prejudice, this problem of discrimination has been going on for way, way longer than that. Here's what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter two, God creates man in his own image. He creates Adam from the dust and he breathes into him. And scripture says in Genesis two that God creates man in his own image. That's Genesis 2. In Genesis chapter 3, the very next chapter, that image is marred. That that image is tarnished. That that image is tainted, not by the image of God, because that was the good thing, but by the sin of man. And so here's where we are. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, this is why we're all struggling so much. We we all desire unity because of Genesis chapter 2. But we all are experiencing disunity because of Genesis chapter three. Because of the image of God, we we desire unity. But because of the sin of man, we experience disunity. All the way back in Genesis, it wasn't just alienation between man and God. It was alienation between man and woman. Humanity was divided, not just us from God, but us from each other. Here's the thing. You might be thinking, well, if you, why are you going back to the Bible for this? Why, why don't you just talk about what's happening in our day? Well, because I want you to know that the hatred and the disgust and the animosity that took place between Jews and Gentiles was a very real thing. And so what I want to do just for a few minutes here is give you some context because I need you to understand just how serious the division was between Jews and Gentiles. And here's what's, what's great about this passage. Jews and Gentiles covers all humanity. Think about it, because you're either a Jew or you're not a Jew. So, so by, the, by the fact that Paul talks about Jews and Gentiles, all of humanity is covered in this passage, okay? Now, now here's the thing about Jews and Gentiles. Fast forward from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, God chooses a Gentile, go figure, named Abraham, and he chooses 
through Abraham to start a people group, the, the Israelites. And he promises Abraham all these descendants. And he says, you will be the father of many nations. And so that's what Abraham becomes. He becomes the, the, the first from among all the Israelites. Here's what happens though. As time goes on, these Israelites, oh, and, and in that passage, uh, a little bit later on in Genesis, God informs Abraham that the sign of the covenant is circumcision. You, you will distinguish yourself from others by circumcision. On the eighth day, you will circumcise a Jewish Israelite boy, right? That's how it all started. Here's the problem. By the time Jesus arrives on the scene, by the time the apostle Paul arrives on the scene, Jews, instead of finding their identity vertically in God, they were finding their identity horizontally in their, in their race, horizontally in their law keeping. And so here's what's, what's going on in the temple. A lot of people don't know this about the temple in Jesus' day, but when you would enter the temple, you would enter this court and it was essentially a courtyard and it was the, the Gentile court. Okay, that's, that's as far as Gentiles can go. Now, people don't know this, but in order to go deeper into the temple, you actually had to go up. So, so you're at this Gentile court. There's 14 steps you have to go up. Once you go up to the 14 steps, you, you arrive at this equal, this, this level ground, and there's a wall there. And this is the wall of hostility that Paul's talking about. There's an actual wall there, and the wall literally says, if any Gentile crosses this place, they will be killed. That's what it says. So, 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 so the Gentiles can, all, so not only is it distance, it's literally levels, like it's height. Okay, so, so, so the Gentiles are down here at the courtyard level. So to, uh, you, you, if you go up 14 steps, there's the dividing wall of hostility. Don't pass here if you're, not gen, if you're not Jew or you will die. And then once you pass the wall, there was five more steps. And then when you got to the top, there was three layers. There was women, Jewish women can only go so far. And then Jewish men can only go so far. And then the innermost was the Jewish priest. So it was women, then men, then priests. But all those three, those Jewish, all those are Jewish, all those were on the same level. The Gentiles were all the way down there, but on the same level was women first. They could only go so far. Then it was men, they could only go so far. And then the priests were the only ones that can go deep into the actual temple. And so scholars are like, there's the wall of hostility, the actual wall. And then there's the other wall of hostility, which was the curtain. The, the, even the priest couldn't go into God's presence. So, 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 so just to kind of set the context here of how much hate there was between Jews and Gentiles, it's, if you don't understand the, the hatred, you don't understand the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, Jesus, right at the beginning, Jesus ascends. And then in the very next chapter, you see Peter preaching and all these people come to know Jesus. And, 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 and the, the, the spirit comes down. It's all this incredible stuff happening in the book of Acts. Well, what people don't know is that it took almost 10 years of Jesus ascending, 10 years after Jesus ascended before the first Gentile came to know Jesus. 10 years, a full decade of Jewish people being Christians and never even thinking about sharing the gospel with Gentiles. Why? Because Gentiles disgusted them. Gentiles were, were worse than animals. They were despicable. There was no way that God can save Gentiles. There was no way. And so, so, so think about it. Jesus uh, ascends the beginning of Acts and it's not until Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, that the first Gentile comes to know Jesus. 10 years, an entire decade, because Jewish people thought that Gentiles couldn't even be saved. And you might be thinking, well, hold on. I heard that, I thought that in the day of Pentecost, there was people of all these different races there. Yeah, they were people of all different races. And the people, well, not race, there's only one race. The people of different ethnicities. But here's the thing, if you look at it, the reason why they were there, is that they were there for the Festival of Pentecost, which is what? A Jewish festival. 
In other words, the, the people that got saved, all at the beginning of, it was 3,000 people and praise God, but they were all Jewish people. And then you fast forward to the, the Ethiopian eunuch. He was also of a different ethnicity. But if you look at the Ethiopian, it says in the text that he was coming from the temple and he was reading the Old Testament, i.e. he was Jewish. So, so, so for the first 10 years of Christianity, only Jews became Christians. Only Jews in, the, in their mind could become Christians. Which is why in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with the Judaizers, which were these false teachers that were telling people that in order to become a Christian, you first have to become Jewish. That's why the whole book of Galatians is written. That's what Paul is dealing with. That, that's what he has to navigate because of the racism and because of the prejudice and because of the discrimination that Jewish people had towards Gentile people. So then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision and God has to give him the vision three times. And he says, go kill and eat. He shows him this. He brings down this image and it's essentially it's all these animals that are unclean. And God says, go eat. And Peter says, I can't. Those are unclean. And God says, no, they're not anymore. And then after the vision is over, he has to give it to him three times. Then he says, go to Cornelius's house. Peter goes, literally tells Cornelius, I don't know what I'm doing here. God told me to come. I'm not even supposed to be in your house because I'm becoming unclean by being here, but I'm going to just go ahead and share the gospel. He does, and the spirit comes down. Gentiles become Christians. And in the very next chapter, and then later on in Acts 15, Peter and Paul have to stand before the, the, the church in Jerusalem to give account about why they shared the gospel with Gentiles. Like, what are you doing? Why did you even share the gospel with Gentiles? Well, because God told me to. That's how deep the hatred was. That's how bad the division was. And so let me put this, let me, put, let me do, last thing I'll say about this. Within five years of Paul writing this letter, within five years, Christianity started to spread, right? But within five years of Paul writing this letter, the Jewish people would rise up against the Gentiles, the Romans in this case, and in the rebellion, the Romans would come in and wipe out Jerusalem. And thousands upon thousands of Jews would die and the temple would be destroyed. Five, within five years of writing this, that's how serious the anger and the disgust and the hate, the word used again and again in the passage is hostility. There was enmity, there was hate. That's how bad this issue was. So I need you to know this because I want you to know in light of Genesis, in light of this passage, this racial conversation is not new. It's not trendy. The reason why I'm talking about this is not to get views. This isn't new or trendy. This is biblical. The Bible tells you why it happened and the Bible tells you what to do about it. So, so here's the thing. There, there, there's two responses that people have to this race conversation. And, and neither is biblical. The, the first response is the people who say racism is not a thing. It's just not. It's not a thing. And then... That's one extreme. On the other extreme, you have people who say, no, racism is the only thing. Those are the two extremes. People who say that it's not a thing and the people who say it's the only thing. Now, by and large, and I don't like making, you know, generalities, but by and large, the majority culture are tempted to think it's not a thing and the minority culture are tempted to think, that, to think it's the only thing. And what, I'm, what I want you to see here in this passage is that what the Bible's going to say is that racism is a thing, but it's not the thing. So both groups are wrong. People say it's not a thing are wrong, and the people that say it's the only thing are wrong. The Bible says it is a thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. And I would argue that regardless of which extreme you are tempted to fall into, either one is dangerous. Because if you think it's not a thing, that you're tempted to fall into denial. And if you think that it's the only thing, you are tempted to fall into despair.
and neither response is biblical. What the Bible says is that racism is a thing, but it's not the thing. It's not the ultimate thing. What we're going to discover here as we look at this passage is that the Bible is incredibly honest about the problem. And yet at the same time, incredibly hopeful about the solution. What we're going to see as we look at this passage is that however bad you think this is, it's way worse. Okay? So for those of you who think people aren't taking this seriously, however bad you think this is, according to Scripture, the problem is way worse. And however great you think the solutions are, according to Scripture, the answer is way better. Here's the thing. Right now, we are experiencing um, a global pandemic with the coronavirus, and we are experiencing a racial pandemic pandemic. And a lot of people right now think those two things are completely separate. They have nothing to do with the other. As a matter of fact, I was joking with someone on our staff earlier this week, and we were saying how we were talking about the coronavirus. And he was like, no, dude, that's season four. We're in season five. Now it's this whole racial tent. If life is a show on Netflix, that season's over. We're in this season. But the reality is that season isn't over. We have a global pandemic and we have a racial pandemic. I would say that even though those things look like they have nothing to do with each other, I would say that the reason why we have a global pandemic and the reason why we have a racial pandemic is because what we really have is a spiritual pandemic that's been going on way longer than both of them. And so because of the spiritual pandemic, we have a global pandemic, we have a racial pandemic. People say America has a race problem. I will say amen. America has a race problem. But I would argue it's not less than that, but it's much more than that. Because what America actually has is a sin problem. Let's not confuse the fruit with the root. Racism is a thing, but it's not the thing. Sin is the thing. Don't ever confuse the fruit with the root. And I'm going to say some pretty controversial things here in a little bit. So let me just start off with the first one. I would argue that because racism, discrimination, prejudice is a sin thing and not a skin thing, every single one of us struggles with it to some degree or another, both the majority culture and the minority culture. I remember one time I preached on this at my old church and I literally had a black girl come up to me and say, I never thought I could be racist. I literally thought I was not able to be racist. I thought that wasn't a thing. I'm here to tell you that because racism and prejudice and, and, and discrimination is a sin thing, not a skin thing, every single one of us to one degree or another struggles with racism, ageism, classism, sexism, elitism. Every single one of us to one degree or another struggles with this issue. You might be sitting here thinking, wait, are you calling me a racist? No, I'm calling you a sinner. Because that's what you are. And that's what I am. And you know what the enemy would love? For us to focus on the fruit and not the root. For us to focus on the symptom and not the sickness. When, when we focus all our attention on the symptom, the enemy's having a field day. Because then we never deal with the sickness. And that is the problem. And so I'm speaking to majority and minority, black, white, brown, yellow, whatever, whatever skin color God's given you. I'm speaking, speaking to all of us here. The only way we're ever going to be able to have a real conversation about this is when we're able to admit that we are just as sinful as the person across from us. And we are just as wicked and we are just as prone to judge others as they are. Until you deal with the log in your eye, you will not be able to do anything about the speck in their eye. 
And you might be thinking, well, hold on, on. How can you say that there's a racism problem? How can you say that this, this issue is so big? What about all the progress we've made? We've made so much progress from the 1960s. Yeah, well, we've made progress. But what I can tell you is that external progress has no bearing whatsoever on an internal problem. We can make all the progress we want. But the human heart is still the same. And according to what my Bible says, it, it comes, it's what comes from within inside a man that defiles him. Not what's outside. Not the color of their skin. It's from within a man. It's from within you. It comes out from within that defiles you. External progress does nothing about our internal problem. Which is why, honestly, part of the reason why I'm keeping this talk more general, I'll get specific here in a little bit, but part of the reason why I'm keeping this talk more general is because I am convinced, based on how people are actually dealing with this problem, I'm convinced that because all they're doing is dealing with the symptoms, within three months, six months, or two years, we'll be right here again. In two years, there'll be another black man killed, and you can hear this sermon again. Because we're still, even now, not dealing with the actual sickness. We're dealing with the symptoms. And so I'm keeping it general because I want this message to be looked at again and again and again because it's going to keep happening again and again and again. Because if all we do is deal with the symptoms, the sickness will never change. I am convinced that what we're doing right now by dealing only with the symptoms is we are using face wash to deal with skin cancer. Man, I got skin cancer. I got to just keep washing. Just keep washing. Just keep washing. That's not how it works. The only way it works is if a solution comes not from the outside in, but from the inside out. It's the only way. So listen, I'm not saying that we can't vote different. I'm not saying that we can't speak up. I'm not saying that we can't change legislation. I'm not saying that we can't peacefully protest. But what I'm saying is that those things are not enough. They've never been enough and they will never be enough. Here's the thing. Here's what, what, what most bothers me. When Christian people act like the world and say, well, we need is new laws. Here's the thing. Not, nothing against laws, but, but if the perfect law of God couldn't change our heart, what makes us think that sinful men's laws are going to change our heart? Have you ever thought about that? If God's law, God's perfect law couldn't change us, what makes us think that a, a man's law is going to change us? It's not. It helps, but it doesn't fix it. Listen, if our ultimate problem is sin, not skin, then our ultimate solution is Jesus. So the, the first symptom of the problem, the first contributing factor to the problem is a marred image. Our image was marred at the beginning. And since then, it's been causing a major, major problem for us. That's the first symptom. The second symptom is a misplaced identity, a misplaced identity. I'm, I'm going to read here uh, verses 11 through 13. And here's what it says. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But I need you to see here something that, that is really important. Remember what I said in Genesis 12. God told the Israelites, the way you will uh, uh, be set apart is through circumcision. But, but God gave the Israelites that. They didn't go do that. God gave them that sign of the covenant. And what we see here is that now they're taking the thing that God gave them 
and they're using it as their identity, not in God, but in the circumcision. And so since they're the circumcision, then, and Paul puts it in quotes here in the ESV, or the, 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 the commentators put it in quotes, he's literally saying, we're, we're the circumcision, and so that must mean you're the uncircumcision. And their identity, it looks like it's coming vertically from God, but it's not. It's coming from their circumcision. It's coming from their race. It's coming from their horizontal status instead of their vertical status. And so you see them name calling. Like they're literally, because their identity is circumcision, then automatically the, the Gentiles' identity is the uncircumcision. They, they are less than. They are not as good as us. They are below us. And so what they start doing is they start label making. They start name calling. Here's the thing. I would say it's easy for us to judge the Jews, but I would say that we are tempted with the same exact temptations. You see, every single one of us is a part of different groups. We, we, there's different groups that we belong to, right? We, our, 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 our ethnicity, um, our political party, our gender, our vocation. You know, there's a lot of things. Our generation. We are all as individuals a part of several different groups. And one of the things that we have to be careful with is if, if we're not careful, we can start to find our primary identity in one of those groups in your gender, in your sexuality, in your vocation, in how you vote. If you're not careful, you can start to find your primary identity in one of those groups. Here's the thing. I believe that those identities are good things. I believe that those identities uh, can describe us, but they should never define us. Go ahead and say that again. Those groups that we belong to, they should describe us, but they should never, ever Define us. If your identity is found in anything other than Jesus vertically, any other identity will lead to division. Any other identity is going to lead to disparity. It is going to lead to supremacy. That's just how it works. Because if I decide that uh, my identity is that I'm a hard worker, then the only way I can keep myself up here is by looking down at lazy people. If I, if I decide that my primary identity is that I'm a Democrat, then I'm going to look down on Republicans. It's same, the same thing vice versa. If I decide that my primary identity is that I'm a Republican, then I have to look down on Democrats. If I decide that my primary identity is that I'm black and Hispanic, then I have to look down on anyone who's not black or Hispanic. I'll give you an example from my life, okay? I can tell you four or five moments in my life where I was discriminated against. Moments where I had a professor at college literally tell me, I told him that I was interested in going to Southern Seminary. And literally, he said, I don't know if you want to go there. And I said, why? He said, well, because you're black. And then in front of me, he proceeded, this white professor, he proceeded to call Southern Seminary in front of me. So this girl who had no idea what to say, and he's he literally looking at me, say, I have a student here who's black. Is he going to be accepted at Southern Seminary? And I don't know who was more shocked, me or the girl on the other line because she had no idea what to say. Right in front of me that happened. When, when we planted our church in Streamwood back in Chicago, we had a guy call in and he saw my wife and I married and he, he literally wanted to know how a minority can be leading a church because minorities cannot be Christians. Literally, only Anglo-Saxons in his theology could be saved. Okay? There's a, one time I was, I was, at, I was, I was, at, I was at Moody. And I was, I was on my floor brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed. And, and, and there was this blogger that went to my church, the church I was attending. A, a, a white guy comes in and says, I told him, we were talking about the blogger. I'm like, oh, he goes to my church. And he goes, I didn't know he went to a black church. 
the white dude automatically assumed I went to a black church. I can give you examples all day about this, of how I've been discriminated against. But here's what I need you to know. I decided a long time ago that my ethnicity describes me, but it doesn't define me. If I would have had my ethnicity define me in those moments, I would have turned tables, I would have gone crazy. But because it didn't define me, it described me, I was able to have a conversation instead of bring condemnation. That's the difference. And that's what we have to be aware of. Dr. Tim Keller says this. He says, if we get our very identity, our sense of worth from our political position, then politics is not what it's about, really about. It is about us. Through our cause, we are getting a self, our worth. That means, listen to this, we must, we must despise and demonize the opposition. If we get our identity from our ethnicity or our socioeconomic status, then we have to feel superior to those of other classes and races. If you are proudly, uh, if you are proud of being an open-minded, tolerant soul, you will be extremely indignant toward people you think are bigots. If you are a very moral person, you will feel superior to people you think are licentious. And so on and so forth. forth. Anytime your primary identity comes from something other than Jesus, every time, it will lead to this. Dr. Russell Moore, uh, speaking to the church, here's what he says. He says, our adoption means that we find a different kind of unity. In Christ, we find Christ. We don't have our old identities based on race or class or life situation. The spirit drives us from Babel to Pentecost, which is why the works of the flesh, Paul warns about, include enmity, strife, and jealousy. Then he says, when we find our identity anywhere other than Christ, our churches will be made up of warring partisans rather than loving siblings. Here's what I need you to know, guys. Because of Genesis chapter two, remember we said Genesis two, we're made in the image of God. Genesis three, we are marred by the sin of man. Because of Genesis chapter two, every culture has beauty. Because we're all made in the image of God. There is beauty in every culture because of Genesis two. But because of Genesis three, there's also brokenness in every culture. Every culture has beauty and brokenness because of Genesis two and because of Genesis three. Here's what I need you to know. If when we come together, the only thing we do is celebrate the beauty in our cultures and we don't confront the brokenness in our cultures, then what we're settling for is false unity. That's not what the world says. Here's what the world says. Let's come together and let's just celebrate the beauty in all of our cultures. Well, that would be great if Genesis 3 didn't happen. But because Genesis 3 did happen, there is beauty and brokenness in the white culture, in the black culture, in the Hispanic culture, in the Asian culture. Every culture has beauty and brokenness. True uh, 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 racial reconciliation, true unity, true peace only happens when we can celebrate the beauty of every culture and confront the brokenness of every culture. If you can't do that, which you, if you can't, if your identity is found in your, your ultimate identity is found in your race, you can't do that, then you have false unity and you have false worship. And you have false worship because you end up worshiping each other's cultures instead of the God of every culture. Listen, at the cross, here's why Christianity does what no other religion can do, because every other religion is a ladder. And that's atheism, postmodernism. Every other worldview is a ladder. 
That ladder might look different, but everyone has a ladder. And if you're on a ladder, there's always someone above you and there's always someone below you. But Christianity is not a ladder. Christianity is a cross. And at the foot of the cross, we are all equally lost and we are all equally loved. So for those of you who think I've been too general and haven't gotten specific enough to deal with what's going on in our day, in light of scripture, I'm going to address what's going on in our culture. In light of scripture, I believe that murder is sin. The fifth commandment says, do not murder. And so what happened to George Floyd was a sin. It was murder. And that officer and officers should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But because murder is murder, the rioters that killed people should also be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. That's the murder one, right? But, but here's the other thing. I would say, in light of scripture, some Christians are saying we, we shouldn't protest. Well, I, I, I don't think we should riot, but I believe we should protest. And we should protest, and here's why. Because the, 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 the country that we're in, it has that as a right. But look what it says in Proverbs 31, eight through nine. It says, open your mouth. And in the, in the Hebrew, it's way stronger. In the Hebrew, it's a command, and it says to respond. So it says in the Hebrew. Respond, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. That's in my Bible. I don't know if it's in your Bible. You should go check it out. Maybe, it, sh- it probably should be there, okay? I believe in a lot of scripture that we can protest. And if you feel convicted to, you should protest. We should have just protest in response to unjust behavior. That's what I believe scripture teaches. You can go back to the previous slide, thank you. We should have just protests in response to unjust behavior. Now, let's talk about the stealing and the looting. The the same 10 commandments, two commandments later, number seven says, do not steal. So what that tells me is that stealing and looting that's going on with the rioters, that is sin. And you're like, well, 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 that must mean that you care about uh, property more than I do, you do about people. No, no, that doesn't mean that. Because only our, our world creates false dichotomies. I can think murder is wrong and I can think stealing is wrong. And even though murder and stealing might not be at the same level as far as consequences and penalties, in God's eyes, an offense is an offense. And according to James, if you break one part of the law, you are a lawbreaker. So it's sin. I would also say in light of scripture, in light of Genesis chapter two, in light of Revelation chapter seven, where all these ethnicities and people groups will be around the throne of God. I would say that anytime there is racial superiority, it is a sin. So that includes, I'm gonna make this crystal clear, that includes white supremacy and it also includes the black power movement from the 60s and 70s. Anytime there is racial superiority, it's a sin. According to the Bible. And the last thing I want to talk about is white guilt. Oh, you hear it all about white guilt. Oh, white guilt, white guilt. Here's the thing about white guilt. I would say white guilt is, could be a thing, but it's not the thing. And, and here's what I mean. In scripture, what you see, well, let me tell you, let me, let me, let me, let me tell you the, the way people respond. With white guilt, there's three groups of people. There's the people who deny it. There's the people who exploit it. And then there's the people who wallow in it. Okay. So, so let's, let's go through this. The first group are the people who deny that white guilt exists. Here's what I see in scripture. 
In Nehemiah chapter one and in Daniel chapter nine, you see individuals confessing not their sins, but the sins of their people. Nehemiah does it in chapter one and Daniel does it in chapter nine. Go look it up. And so we see in scripture a pattern of an individual confessing not just his own sin, but his people's sin. And so for the people that deny white guilt, I don't believe that's biblical. I think that in order for true reconciliation to happen, you have to confess not just your sins, because we all have them, but the sins of your people. But, but, I make this crystal clear. Once you do that, you don't have to do that again. Because you don't see Nehemiah do it again. You don't see Daniel do it ever again. Once it's done, it's done. Sin is confessed and it's done. Because God came to take care of guilt, guilt, not just white guilt. Black guilt, all the guilt has been dealt with. Jesus came to deal not just for our sin, he came to deal with our sin, but also with shame and with guilt. So it's confessed once, so you can't deny it, but once you confess it, you move on. You have to. So then, listen to this, there's people who what they do is they exploit white guilt. They, they exploit it, and, and man, they, they take that sponge and they wring it. They, they get all the water out of that white guilt sponge that they, they can. But here's what's funny, here's what's interesting. For the people that exploit white guilt, what looks like on the surface, a position of power ends up becoming a position of weakness and the victimhood is perpetuated. So you can't deny it. You can't exploit it. And the last thing you do, you can't do is you can't wallow in it. So for the white people who are wallowing in white guilt, listen, once you confess it, you move on. Because Jesus paid for that sin too. And so what happens is because white people, white people feel guilt, Many white people, not all of them, but many white people are posting on social media, not out of justice, but out of justification. Not because they, they, it's the justice, even though that matters, but really it's justification. Because if I don't put something as a white person, I must be guilty. Justification does not come from minorities. Justification doesn't come from black people or brown people. We have no right to justify you. The only person that can justify you is Jesus Christ. So for those of you who thought I wasn't specific enough, there you go, okay? So those are the symptoms of the problem. So now that we looked at the symptoms of the problem, I wanna conclude this morning by looking at the solution for the problem, the, the solution. I'm gonna start reading here in verse 13 because here's what we're gonna see. In the solution, Jesus, the gospel, does something for us. It does something in us and it does something through us. For us, in us, and through us. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might uh, in himself that he might create in himself one man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached grief about peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone 
stone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So what we discover here is that not only does this passage tell us about the problem, but praise be to God, it also tells us about the solution. And so the God, in the gospel, we have God doing something for us, in us, and through us. The first thing is that God does something for us, okay? So here's the thing. Like I said earlier, if our greatest problem is sin and not skin, then all of a sudden our only solution is grace and not race. I heard I, there's this video going out uh, on social media. It's this, this black dude, and he's sitting in this room, and he's talking as a black man to white people. And he says in the video, he says, if white people are the problem, then only white people can be the solution. And I totally disagree with that. Because the problem isn't white people. And so the solution isn't white people. The problem is sin, and so the solution is Jesus. Okay? If our problem is sin and not skin, then the only response is grace and not race. Listen, the greatest division in human history, the greatest division in all of history is not the division between black and whites, is not the division between Jews and Gentiles, is not the division between Germans and Jews. The greatest division in human history was the division between God and man. And the only thing that can fix that division is the gospel. Only the gospel can unite what sin has separated. But, but how? how? How can there be true reconciliation among us? How can this happen? How, how can there be reconciliation between God and us and, 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 and us with each other? How can there be true reconciliation? How can that happen? Is it through new legislation? Is it through new voting? Uh, is it through more protesting? Is it through more rioting? No, the Bible says right here in the passage that it is only by the cross that it can happen. Any other, any other answer is ineffective, futile, and blasphemous. You know, I heard a, a, an African-American pastor, this is a black pastor in Chicago who I really respect, and last week he preached a sermon, and he took what George Floyd's last words were, I can't breathe. And he said that, that phrase is actually very theological. It's a very theological phrase that he cried out there at the end as he sat there begging for his life. I can't Breathe. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created Adam, he breathed into his nostrils, it says. God gave Adam his breath. So for that police officer to do what he did, he put himself in the place of God and took something away from George Floyd that only God could take away. I can't breathe. And how many people right now feel the exact same? We, we can't breathe because of the oppression that we're feeling. We, we can't breathe because of the anger that we're feeling. We, we can't breathe because of the spiritual heaviness that we're going through. But here's what's beautiful about the gospel. Jesus Christ at the cross, he, he steps into humanity. He takes in himself the breath of God. And at the cross, Jesus died for two reasons, because of our sin and because of suffocation. He died because of our sin spiritually, but any scholar worth their salt will tell you that Jesus died because he suffocated. His, his breath, he couldn't breathe. Jesus Christ lost his breath so that we might regain breath. Jesus did that. Only Jesus did that. Only Jesus can do that. I can't breathe. And the only place we will ever be able to breathe again is through the gospel. Because Jesus did something 
for us. But Jesus also did something in us. It talks about the fact that in Jesus Christ, he's not only, uh, 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 he doesn't just bring peace. It says in the passage that he is our peace. Jesus Christ is literally the embodiment of our peace. And what I love about the Greek word there, peace, is that in the world, all peace is. Let me tell you what the definition of peace is in the world. In the world, the only definition of peace that they can muster up is peace is the absence of conflict. If there's no conflict, then there must be peace. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of prosperity. It is the presence of tranquility. It is a presence of unity. That is true peace. And peace is not just a message. Peace is a person. And Jesus Christ at the cross, he, he restored our image and he gave us a new identity and he changed us from the inside out. And now we get peace, not something we achieve, it's something that we receive. And when we receive vertical peace, it results in internal peace, then it overflows into horizontal peace. It's the only way it works. It's the only way it works. Because at the cross of Christ, like I said earlier, it is only at the cross, not at a ladder, but only at a cross are we equally lost and equally loved. Once I understand that I am equally lost and equally loved, now I can have conversations with people. I can go to you now because we're all at evil, even ground in front of the cross. I can talk to you now. I can be honest and I can be vulnerable and I can celebrate the beauty of your culture and I can call out the brokenness in your culture and neither of us get offended because our identity is in Jesus and not in our culture. It's the only way it works. Praise be to God for the gospel because the gospel and only the gospel, the gospel provides hope for the hopeless, a voice for the voiceless, a name for the nameless, a home for the homeless. The gospel provides clarity for the confused. Only the gospel. Only the gospel. So, in the gospel, God does something for us. God does something in us. And lastly, God does something through us. God does something through us. You might be sitting there, well, what can I do? How, how can I be a part of this? Well, what can I do? Well, Here's what you can do. There's, there's four things you can do. Four things at four levels, ready? The first thing you have to do is you are to remember the gospel. Almost every step that I see people give, people on, faith, on social media are giving all these steps that white people need to take. This is a step for white people, black people, Hispanic people, everybody, everybody needs to take these steps. But the first step that I haven't seen yet, but the Bible says is remember the gospel. Because Paul says remember multiple times. Paul says remember who you were, your sin, and remember who you are your salvation. We need to remember the gospel. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to miss this. And I want you to go read this later. Be like the Bereans who don't take my word. Go to the word of God yourself because it's the only word that matters. It's the only voice that matters. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter, the very dude in Acts chapter 10 who God has showed the vision to, the very dude that shared the gospel with the Gentiles first, Peter, he falls back into racism. He falls back into superiority. It says in, in Galatians chapter two that Peter starts, he sees the Judaizers show up and he starts distancing himself from the, the, the Gentiles. He falls right back into it. 
And it says that Paul, he, he, Paul shows up and he sees what Peter is doing. And he says that Peter was not walking in line with the gospel. That's what it says. Peter was not walking in line with the gospel. Think about that. And the Greek word there in line means orthopraxy. It literally means a straight line. There's a line that the gospel provides and when we forget our identity, when we forget our justification, when we forget our security, we, 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 we start to get off that line and all of a sudden the, the racism happens and the prejudice happens and all that. And Paul literally goes up to Peter and says, Peter, the reason why you're being racist is because you have forgotten the gospel. You have forgotten that you are loved. You have forgotten that you are a sinner. You have forgotten that it is by grace alone. Remember the gospel, Peter, and that'll change your racism. We need to remember the gospel. That's the first step. The second step is we need to repent for our sin. Repent for our sin. I, here's the thing. I, remember what I said about guilt? I, I, I'm not saying be guilty. It's not what the Bible says. Because being guilty just makes you feel bad. Repenting makes you live different. So, so repent for your sin and your people's sin. So remember the gospel, repent for your sin. The third thing is this, reach out to someone who's different from you. And I want you to listen and I want you to learn and I want you to lament what they've gone through. Okay, because here's the reality. It is very easy to click and to comment. It is a lot harder to have a conversation. I mean, online, online is great. Because if all you do is online, right? If all you do is online, the, the online just feeds your flesh. It feeds your biases. It feeds your presuppositions. You just go looking for the content that already supports what you believe. Affirmation, not information. But when you spend time with people, man, it might weaken the arguments of your mind, but it strengthens the affections of your heart. So remember the gospel, repent sin, reach out. And the last thing is this, bring reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that because we've been reconciled vertically, now we must go out and, 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 and reconcile horizontally. That's our job. We've been given, literally Paul says, the ministry of reconciliation. It is our job. Listen, church, listen to me, church. If we don't step up, if we don't speak out, we're, we're literally the only people that have an answer to this. So if we as the church sit on the sideline and act like we don't know what the answer is, we are part of the problem. I just showed you that the problem is sin, and so the solution is salvation. And so we have the only resource. We have to do something with it. We have to. Use your social media platform to share scripture and to share the gospel. Who cares about your opinion? Tell them what God says. That's what we do. That's what we do. And Tony Evans says that once we understand that, that really it happens that we, we gotta change culture at four levels. We do it personally in ourselves. Then the next layer is with our families then it's with our church, and then it's with our government. Change yourself, change your family, change your church, change your nation. That's how it works. Listen, as I conclude here today, one, one, of, the, one of the images or one of the places in Jesus' life that I've seen people go to a lot in this time to justify the writing is they go to Jesus at the temple. Oh, you look at Jesus at the temple, he's flipping tables. Jesus is angry, right? Yeah, but he never sins. The Bible says, be angry, but do not sin, okay? And so people are going to Jesus at, at the temple. I would argue that the place we should go to in a moment like this, the, the, the place that we should be meditating on in the life of Jesus, the moment that we should be meditating on is not Jesus at the temple, it's Jesus in the garden. 
Why? Because Jesus in the garden, he's experiencing two things at once. On the one hand, he is distraught over sin, and yet at the same time, he's determined to do something about it. On the one hand, he's mourning over sin, and yet at the same time, he is motivated to do something about it. On the one hand, he is weeping over sin, and yet on the other hand, he is working to do something about it. It's not Jesus at the temple, it's Jesus in the garden who we need. Because if all we have is Jesus at the temple, then what we have is an example. And we don't need an example, what we need is a savior. And so praise be to God that even though the problem is way worse than we thought, praise be to God that the solution is way greater than we ever could have imagined. Amen? Hey, listen, if you're sitting here today and you're part of our church at home family, even if you're not, maybe you're just watching online with family. I'm transitioning now so that we can have a conversation around this. And here are some of the questions that I want you guys to process. I'm going to walk through each one quickly, and then it's going to be left on the screen after we're done praying. But the first question that I want you to navigate in your groups is this. What type of thoughts and emotions do you personally experience when moments like these take place? The next question is this. If the church is truly the only group with the ultimate answer and cure, the gospel, to the ultimate problem and disease, sin, how does that change the way we engage with the world around us in the season like this? The next question is, to genuinely experience reconciliation, both parties have to be willing to empathize and humbly ask questions, right? Because proximity leads to intimacy and it leads to empathy. Which two questions would you ask someone of another ethnicity and why? The next question is, after listening to this sermon, how do you plan to talk to the younger generation about this topic? Because I need you to know, if you're a parent here, if you're a grandparent here, or you have some, or you're someone who's influencing the next generation in any way, you have to talk to them about this. I don't know when, I don't know how, but this has to happen. Because if you don't talk about it, then we can't be surprised when our children and grandchildren end up having the same exact struggles that we have. And the last question is this, in light of the gospel, what specific action step do you feel the Lord is calling you to take? And so I want you guys to discuss that. And I'm gonna, in, a, in a second here, I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to invite our elders to come up here and pray with me. And, well, um, and as the elders come up to pray, we're going to pray for our nation. And we are going to pray for everything that is happening right now. Not just around us, but inside of us. I would ask you in your homes to get on your knees. We're all going to get on our knees now and we're going to go before the Lord and pray for our nation and for our city and for our hearts. Let's do that now. <sighs> Father God, we, we come before you right now. And Lord, I want to, I beg you, Lord, we, we beg you to do a work in us and through us. God, the, 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 the problem, like we said, is way worse than what we thought. The solution is way better than what we imagined. I pray for the salvation of our nation. I pray for the salvation of our, of our city. I pray for the salvation of, of our people, God. Anyone here who doesn't know you today, I pray that they would realize that the reason why we have a global pandemic, the reason why we have a, a racial pandemic is because we have a spiritual pandemic. And God, I pray right now, Lord, the fact that you have placed me as a minority in this city, at this church, at this time, only you could have done that. 
you knew what had to happen this morning. And so I pray for our church. I pray for our people. I pray for this nation. God, please break us for our sin. Have our hearts break over the things that break your hearts. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And God, I am begging you in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, come down now and change us. Change our hearts so that you may change our hands. Please, God, please. God, I'm tired of seeing black men die. I'm tired of the division. I'm tired of the hostility. I'm tired of the hatred. I'm tired, God. I am tired. And if I'm tired, if we're tired, I can't imagine how you feel. God, bring salvation down. We beg you. We beg you. Lord, what needs to happen, only you can do. So please do it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.